right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan for another Bill Me segment where I break down the legislation and we go over it together so that you don't have to find the legislation that your elected officials are passing. You can just come here, your one-stop shop. Now, as you know, we've added a new segment at the end of this where I give two different ratings. One is going to be the efficacy of the legislation. Basically, does it achieve its stated purpose, in my opinion? And the second is the media correctness. Again, in my opinion, do I think that the media accurately portrayed the bill's text? And so stay to the end if you're interested in my opinions on this one. But today we're going to cover H.R. 7910, which is called the Protecting Our Kids Act. And I'll talk about the claims and the controversy. We will summarize the bill and then we will go into it. Before I do that, remember that you can help out our show a lot by liking and subscribing and also giving us a five-star review. And also during this, I love to hear from each of you. Get those chats going. So go ahead and uh, let me know what legislation you want covered in the future. Hot topics lately have been surrounding gun control. We're probably going to park there for (laughs) at least a little bit. So we'll see how things go. But... Let's start with some of the claims and controversies surrounding this bill. Some of the statements that have been made is if you stand opposed to quote-unquote common sense gun laws, then you're in favor of dead kids. This has been the attacks the Democrats in the House of Representatives have brought in support for the legislation we're reading today, basically saying any Republican who has the audacity to vote against this clearly is in favor of children dying. Number two, obviously they believe that the only way to stop school shootings is to restrict law-abiding gun owners. Because as you think about this, only law-abiding gun owners are going to follow the laws. Like, I'll, I'll touch on this later, but if you are already on your way to commit a mass shooting at a school, chances are pretty good. You really don't care what the law actually says. Uh, And then the third claim slash controversy around this is that the Democrats said that they will destroy the filibuster to get this through. And if necessary, they'll pack the Supreme Court to make sure that it stands once it does go through. And uh, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's hear it straight from the horse's mouth. This is Representative Jones from the U.S., House. And time after time, you have chosen to put your right to kill over our right to live. But your selfishness and your indifference have not killed our hope. You have transformed it. Before, we believe that you might do what the people overwhelmingly support and help advance common sense gun violence legislation. Now we know that it is up to us to save ourselves from you. We did not choose this fight. We had our own dreams for our lives, the same as you did when you were kids, but we can't let you get away with this anymore. Enough is enough. Enough of you telling us that school shootings are a fact of life when every other country like ours has virtually ended it. Enough of you blaming mental illness and then defunding mental health care in this country. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. What we will do is not fail the children of this country the way that you have failed us. The generations of Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, and Uvalde. 
I yield back, Madam Chair. Okay, so you'll note that in this discussion leading up, this is before uh, they go ahead and vote on the legislation, again, he's distinctly saying we will not fail our children. Now, what we're going to read from this text is what exactly do they plan to do? Joe Biden's been saying a lot, for God's sake, do something. Uh, That's kind of his resounding theme, his anthem, if you will, and... We're going to talk about what at least the House of Representatives, or at least the the Democrats in the House of Representatives, are doing in order to try and curb the gun violence. Now, because this comes right on the heels of some of the, the, we had the shooting in Texas, we had the shooting in Oklahoma, and then about three weeks ago, we had the shooting in Buffalo, New York. About four or five weeks ago, we had the shooting in California. The one that really hit the news recently because so many children were murdered in the classroom was the one in Texas, and this comes right on the heels of that. So I'm assuming that based off of this legislation, they're trying to curb the access to firearms that some of the shooters had that then went and killed the schools. So here is what the bill does. Number one, it increases the age to legally purchase a semi-automatic centerfire rifle or shotgun which is virtually all of them. All shotguns are centerfire, which basically means when you have the shell, you put it in for the shotgun, and in the center, when the firing pin hits that shell that causes the spark, which causes the explosion that is the gunshot, firing the projectiles, the pin hits right in the center. Now, for shotgun shells, you can actually eject the primer through a loading system. If you want to reload your own stuff, you have to completely remove that primer. And that, that's what the benefit of the centerfire rifles and shotguns is, is really you can reload them. Every rifle, to my knowledge, except for 22 calibers, are also centerfire. Again, if you look at the bottom of the bullet for the rifles, when the firing pin shoots and the bullet goes off and the casing is ejected, you're going to see a little dent right in the center. And that's basically what we mean by centerfire rifles and shotguns. So really what this means is that until you're the age of 21, you cannot purchase any semi-automatic rifle or semi-automatic shotgun. And also one of the things that this bill does is it makes it a misdemeanor to sell your firearm to anyone else. If you do, you're going to get a fine. I don't think they specify the amount. And up to 10 years in prison. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, but there's really no such thing as the gun show loophole. If you go to a gun show, they have to they have to check you against a federal background database before a federal database for your background to make sure you're clean before you can take it home. Where the quote unquote loophole might be more applicably uh, or more aptly applied correctly is if, let's say, my father wants to sell me one of his guns. We don't have to necessarily have a background check go through that because he can just sell it to me. He signs over the paperwork. Or he just gives it to me. One of the two. That That's very common in America. And so now if you're going to have that transaction without the actual federal background check slash some federal entity involved, that's where you're going to hit those fines and up to 10 years in prison. It's also going to make it illegal to sell, own, or use what they call a large capacity magazine, which is defined as anything holding more than 10 rounds. So an AR style rifle that has more than 10 allowed in the magazine, same for a handgun, which just so you know how common this is, every pretty well virtually every nine millimeter especially the glocks they're going to have about 16 17 it's well over 10 most of the time so they're, they're 
going to be banning a lot of the most common sizes when it comes to the magazines. More than 10 rounds outside of law enforcement is no longer going to be allowed. They're also going to encourage safe storage of firearms. Now, if your weapon is not properly secured and it harms anyone, you will be fined and or imprisoned up to five years. We'll get into the specifics of that when we read the bill. Um, but here's some important things that I think you should know, the context surrounding this before we actually read the text. So number one, both the Texas shooter and the Buffalo shooter would not be stopped by any of these laws. The Buffalo shooter should not have had access to the firearms that he did. There were so many red flags. In fact, New York is one of the states that has red flag laws, which basically says that if you have a concerned neighbor or citizen, basically someone can report you. And if it is actually determined that possessing these weapons uh, is a threat to yourself or others, then they can be temporarily seized. And there's a due process that goes through there. But it does strip people of their right to own weapons temporarily while that goes through. New York is one of the states that has those red flag laws, and they didn't work on this man mostly because they weren't executed properly as they should have been if they were going to go into effect. I think it was the police in that instance that failed. But anyway, he should not have had access given the mental health and all the other things surrounding him. There were plenty of flags. He still possessed the firearm, and he also possessed an illegal firearm for the state of New York. He had modified it himself, which was illegal in the state of New York, didn't stop him. So we'll get into part of the bill that talks about how you can't modify your weapon, blah, blah, blah. It didn't stop this shooter because in New York, they've already got effectively the same thing, didn't stop him. Also note that the Texas shooter used a handgun for the shooting. Now, this is the trick that the media does. They talk about how uh, he purchased an AR-style rifle, which you could legally do in the state of Texas, being the age of 18 years old. But he didn't use that, or it wasn't confirmed that he used that for the shooting. He used a handgun. A handgun is not to be... Uh, carried or bought by anyone under the age of 21 federally, including in the state of Texas, which means he illegally possesses firearm. That law did not stop him. So keep those things in mind as we go forward um, with this bill text. And this is why it's going to receive a lower score from me as far as the efficacy. Now, let me go ahead and pull up the bill text here and we will share this screen for you here. Oh, hey, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin popped in and said hi. All right. HR 7910. Now, this is to amend Title 18, which is, broadly speaking, the federal criminal code. So that's important. They're going to basically be, this will have criminal connections to it if you're found in violation of anything that they pass, assuming it passes the Senate and then is signed into law by the President of the United States, Joe Biden. Now, to provide for an increased age limit on the purchase of certain firearms, prevent gun trafficking, modernize the prohibition of untraceable firearms, encourage the safe storage of firearms, and for other purposes. Again, every single time a bill says, and for other purposes, that is the legal wiggle room that they give themselves. And that always bothers me. I think the law needs to be specific. <laughs> Call me old-fashioned. Okay, so this first section here, it talks about how June 6th, and today is the 7th of June. So yesterday, this was put into the Senate. And then these are all the sponsors. There was something, let me check this number to be sure I give you the right one. There were 177 co-sponsors. I am just assuming here 
but I, if I had to venture a guess, they're probably all democratically affiliated. I'm guessing there are virtually no Republicans signing on to this bill. And if we scroll down here, it says a bill to amend Title 18 United States Code to prevent foreign increased age limit on the purchase of certain firearms, reiterating what we just read, prevent gun trafficking, modernize the prohibition on untraceable firearms, encourage the safe storage of firearms, and for other purposes, now we get into the text. Being enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress Assembled, Section 1, short title, this act may be cited as the Protecting Our Kids Act. Section B, Table of Contents. Table of Contents for this act is as follows. We will have Section 1, which is, again, the title. They're going to raise the age. You've got the prohibition on firearms, license, selling, or delivering certain semi-automatic centerfire rifles or semi-automatic centerfire shotguns to a person under 21 age, years of age with exceptions. Those exceptions, which we'll get into, is basically military or police service, but only while they are in service, not for civilian use. Title 2, prevent gun trafficking prohibition on straw purchases of firearms that's basically what they would tie into if i sell my firearm to my son my friend basically anyone and it's not bought from a licensed dealer prohibition on gun trafficking Section 202 prohibition on disposition of firearms to person intending unlawful further disposition so if you sell it to me and i am buying it specifically to give to someone who they have now made it unlawful for them to possess a firearm. So for example, if I'm a father and I buy one for my 16-year-old son, or if this passes even my 18-year-old son to give to them, that would also be considered a straw purchase. We're going to talk about penalties. Section 204 is the firearm subject to forfeiture. Um, so this is pretty much just going over what they're going to get into. I'm going to skip down into Title I, which is raise the age Prohibition on federal firearms, license selling or delivering certain semi-automatic centerfire rifles or semi-automatic centerfire shotguns to a person under 21 years of age with exceptions. Section A, in general. Section 922B1 of Title 18, United States Code, is amended to read as follows. Again, this is the criminal federal code of the United States, and it shall read the following. Any firearm or ammunition to any individual who licenses, knowing or has reasonable cause to believe, has not attained 18 years of age. Any semi-automatic centerfire rifle or semi-automatic centerfire shotgun that has or has the capacity to accept an ammunition feeding device with a capacity exceeding five rounds to any individual who the licensee knows or has reasonable cause to believe has not attained 21 years of age and is not a qualified individual, or if the firearm or ammunition is not a semi-automatic centerfire rifle or semi-automatic centerfire shotgun described in subparagraph B, which we just read, and is other than a shotgun or rifle or ammunition for a shotgun or a rifle to any individual who the license knows or has reasonable cause to believe has not attained 21 years of age. So this is just a wording check. All of that is the legal jargon to make it a law. You now have to be 21 years of age or older instead of 18, which it used to be. Conforming amendments, section 922C1 of such title is amended by striking, quote, in the case of any firearm, and all, unquote, and all that follows through 18 years or more of age and inserting instead, it would read this, in the case of a semi-automatic centerfire rifle or semi-automatic centerfire shotgun that has or has the capacity to accept 
an ammunition feeding device with a capacity exceeding five rounds. I am at least 21 years of age or a qualified individual as defined in section 921A30 of Title 18, United States Code 2. In the case of a firearm other than a shotgun rifle or such a semi-automatic centerfire rifle or semi-automatic centerfire shotgun, I am at least 21 years of age or three in the case of any other shotgun or rifle, I'm at least 18 years of age. Again, what that means is that if I'm going to purchase a semi-automatic rifle or semi-automatic shotgun that can have or has the ability to be modified to hold more than five rounds, I have to be 21 years of age. Any other shotgun... I can be 18. Here's how they define the qualified individual. Section 921A of such a title is amended by inserting after paragraph 29 the following. Here's what the term qualifying individual means. A member of the armed forces on active duty and B, a full-time employee of the United States, a state, or a political subdivision of a state who in the course of his or her official duties is authorized to carry a firearm. So those are the two exceptions. You can be 18 years old if your job requires you to carry those weapons or allows for you to carry those weapons, but only while on duty. The term ammunition feeding device means a magazine, belt, drum, feed strip, or similar device, but does not include an attached tubular device, which is only capable of operating with 22 caliber rimfire ammunition. And this is where they make the distinction between rimfire and centerfire. If you recall, I mentioned at the start of this in my summary, 22 caliber is a rimfire. Rimfire, not only can they not be reloaded because they're rimfire and not centerfire, they also, 22 caliber, if you're not familiar with guns, it's significantly smaller. I'd say it's it's about an inch from the bottom of the casing of the shell to, or not the shell, the bottom of the casing to the top of the bullet. The bullets are very small. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're not dangerous, but they're not as dangerous as the bigger ones. There's less gunpowder in there. It has less force. Really, the only thing you can hunt with it is a squirrel, and it's really just used for plinking and target practice. That's the one exception they make. Doesn't sound like they're trying to restrict that. But anything above that, specifically targeting the 5.56 and 223 ammunition that goes to the AR style, you're, those are definitely centerfire. You're not going to be able uh, to possess those. Section 102, Operation of the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Public Access Line. Subsection A, report not later than 90 days after the date of the enactment of this act. The director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, in this section referred to as the FBI, as it should be, <laughs> shall submit to the Committee of the Judiciary of the Senate and the Committee on the Judiciary of the House of Representatives a report regarding operation of the FBI's public access line. Subsection B, matters included. The report required by subsection A shall at a minimum include the following. Number one, a description of the protocols and procedures in effect with respect to information sharing between the public access line and the field offices of the FBI. Number two, recommendations for improving the protocols and procedures to improve the information sharing. And I assume that is to try and enhance the background checks, although you're already going to have communication between the federal databases and also any store that's doing a background check. So I'm assuming this is more for the operation of the FBI to investigate such cases. Title II, Prevent Gun Trafficking. Section 201, Prohibition on Straw Purchase of Firearms. Again, that's where I buy one for someone else, likely because they are not able to buy one. Prohibition on Gun Trafficking. Subsection A, in general, Chapter 44 of Title 18, United States Code, is amended in Section 921A by adding at the end the following. Quote, 
The term family members means spouses, domestic partners, parents, and their children, including step-parents and their stepchildren, siblings, aunts, or uncles, and their nieces or nephews or grandparents and their grandchildren. And two, by adding at the end the following... Section 932, Gun Trafficking, it shall be unlawful for any person other than a licensee under this chapter in an otherwise affecting interstate or foreign commerce to knowingly purchase or acquire or attempt to purchase or acquire a firearm for the possession of a third party. Say goodbye to Christmas presents. (laughs) B, it shall be unlawful for any person other than a licensee under this chapter in or otherwise affecting interstate or foreign commerce to hire, solicit, command, induce, or otherwise endeavor to persuade another person to purchase or attempt to purchase any firearm for the purpose of obtaining the firearm for the person or selling or transferring the firearm to a third party. Subsection C, the Attorney General shall ensure that the firearm transaction record form required to be completed in connection with the firearm transaction includes a statement outlining the penalties that may be imposed for violating subsection A. So that just means when you go to purchase your firearm, you have to acknowledge the following. This section shall not apply to any firearm if the purchaser or person acquiring the firearm has no reason to believe that the recipient of the firearm will use or intends to use the firearm in a crime or is prohibited from purchasing or possessing firearms under state or federal law and firearm. That's already a thing. If they suspect you're going to use this for a crime... They don't sell it to you. They can't sell it to you. Subsection 1. Is purchased or acquired by any person or that any person attempts to purchase or acquire as a bona fide gift between family members or is purchased or acquired by an agent of a lawful business or that an agent of a lawful business attempts to purchase or acquire for the purpose of transferring to another agent of the business for lawful use in the business. Forfeiture, section 982A5 of such title is amended in subparagraph D by striking or, the word or, at the end and by inserting after subparagraph E the following. So this is what it will now read relating to illegal gun transfers or section 932 relating to gun trafficking. Money laundering attempt, section 1956C7D of such title is amended by striking section 924N and inserting section 922A1A, 922D, 924N, or 932. This is just the words that they have to interject to get this law to be amended. D, clerical amendment. The table of sections for such chapter is amended by adding at the following... It'll now say gun trafficking. They're basically just making their terms cogent, coherent. Section 202, prohibition on disposition of firearm to person intending unlawful further disposition. Section 922D of Title 18, United States Code, is amended in the first sentence, number one, in paragraph eight, by striking or at the end, two, in paragraph nine, by striking the period at the end and inserting or, the word or, and by inserting after the below paragraph nine, the following, and it will read this intends to sell or otherwise dispose of the firearm or ammunition in violation of a federal law or to sell or otherwise dispose of the firearm or ammunition to a person in another state in violation of a law of that state. Basically, what that means is you acknowledge by purchasing the firearm and signing that that you're not going to purchase that firearm and give it to anybody else. It took us two pages to get to that. Section 203, the penalties, is where they outline outline what you're going to get if you engage in aforementioned 
what will be criminalized behavior. Section 924A of Title 18 United States Code is amended by adding at the end the following, quote, whoever knowingly violates Section 922A1A, which we just read, or 932, which we also just read, shall be fined under this title, imprisoned not more than 10 years, or both. So you might be fined and subject to prison for 10 years. Section 204, Firearms Subject to Forfeiture. Section 924D of Title 18 United States Code is amended in paragraph 1 by inserting or 932. Basically, they're interjecting what they just read. So if you violate the criminal codes that were previously there or you basically purchase as a straw purchase, you, you buy a gun for somebody else, it's now going to give you, let's just skip on down to this. Let's see here. By adding the following, any offense under section 932. Again, just making it cogent and coherent. Title three, untraceable firearms, the ghost guns, which they should probably, hopefully they'll define. We'll see. Section 301, requirement that all firearms be traceable. Definition, section 921A of Title 18, United States Code as amended by this act is further amended in paragraph 10 by adding at the end the following, quote, the term manufacturing firearms shall include assembling a functional firearm or molding machinery or 3d printing a frame or receiver and shall not include making or fitting special barrels stocks or trigger mechanisms to firearms and two by adding at the end the following the term ghost gun which means a firearm including a frame or receiver that lacks a unique serial number engraved or cast on the frame or receiver by a licensed manufacturer or imported in accordance with this chapter, and B does not include a firearm that has been rendered permanently inoperable. A firearm that, not later than 30 months after the date of enactment of this paragraph, has been identified by means of a unique serial number assigned by a state agency, engraved or cast on the receiver or frame of the firearm in accordance with state laws. A firearm manufacturer imported before December 16, 1968 or a firearm identified as provided for under Section 5842 of the Internal Revenue Code of 1986. The term fire control component means a component necessary by the firearm to initiate or complete the firing sequence and includes a hammer, bolt, or breech block, cylinder, trigger mechanism, firing pin, striker, and slide rails. Cannot modify those. Now, I assume that they mean you can't modify it to be more of like an automatic weapon, but it's also important to note that with the broadness of this language, I would really probably need to ask some people about this. Potentially, this might encompass people who build their own firearms, uh, not by 3D printing pieces, but by purchasing the pieces and then assembling them themselves. It's actually quite popular with people who have AR-style rifles because, off, well, at least at one time, I, I couldn't tell you now based off the market um, and inflation and such, but at one time it was much cheaper to purchase all of the parts yourself and assemble them. Now, they were legally purchased, of course, but given the vagueness of the language, it, it, it says that you cannot... So, for example, if I purchased an AR and I was like, you know what? I want to customize this barrel and I don't want the one that it came with assembled from the factory. I want this other one. My understanding of this law, given that it says you cannot tamper with or modify even the barrel itself, it seems to me that it would now be unlawful for me to do so. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, why would someone want to do that? It's a great question. It varies by the person, but you have to remember that AR rifles are more often than not used for varmint hunting, so pests, especially for farmers like coyotes and wolves and such, because it's quite handy for those um, dispensing of varmints. 
It's also used very heavily in competitions. You've got three-gun tactical, which uses your tactical shotgun, your AR-15 or AR-25, and then which are similarly based, just different calibers. And then you've also got your handgun that you use. And so a lot of people modify those to suit and customize the needs that they have for competition. And I'm wondering if this law is going to make that not allowed now. So anyway... That, that will be something to dig into, and I, I assume this is going to fail, but if it passes, we should look into that. We talked about what the frame or receiver means. It's going to include blank casting or machine body that requires modification, including machining, drilling, filling, or molding to be used as part of a functional firearm and which is designed and intended to be used in the assembly of a functional firearm unless the piece of material has had. Number one, its size or external shape altered solely by facilitated transportation or storage. Or two, solely is its chemical composition altered. For purposes of subparagraph A1, which we just read, if a weapon with more than one part that provided the housing or a structure designed to hold or integrate one or more fire control or essential components, each such part shall be considered a frame or receiver unless the attorney general has provided otherwise by regulation or other formal determination with respect to the specific make and model of a weapon on or before January 1st, 2023. I will state as we go through here, this is the concern that people have who are law-abiding citizens who use AR-style rifles, especially for competition. That is a huge, huge industry, very popular. Uh, lots of people use these for self-defense. They use it for competition. They use it, some use it for hunting. It, it's actually AR-15s really aren't, because it's such a small caliber bullet, they don't have the knockdown power for something larger, such as deer. Um responsible gun owners more often than not don't use them for deer hunting and some states outright ban them as far as hunting for deer because it's not going to do the damage necessary to humanely kill the animal um so what i was saying here is that i think that when you have a a, a bill which will get to the the storage of firearms which that's the one that i think most directly pertains to the safety of children but as far as the ability to customize and modify your weapons, they've lumped these all together. If this bill passes, if I had someone who's like, you know what, it would be a good idea to require specific types of storage, etc., which we'll get to in a moment here, I might be inclined to vote against this bill because it restricts if it's an all-or-nothing package in its current form, unless, of course, it's modified, amended. Um, but... It, that's where it starts making the Protecting Our Kids Act more of a misnomer. There's not really a direct connection between the two, or if there is, I'd love to have uh, those in the comments. Just let me know what you think that connection is. Now, here is subsection B for purposes of subparagraph A1, if a weapon with, uh, we already read that, uh, section 922 of Title 18 United States Code is amended by adding at the end the following except as provided in subparagraph B, it shall be unlawful for any person to manufacture, sell, offer to sell, transfer, purchase, or receive a ghost gun in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce. Now, if you 3D print a gun, there it is possible for you to download the plans for, let's say, a 9mm handgun off the internet, upload it to your 3D printer, and 3D print those pieces. That is a gun... That is not traceable by the federal government because you, you don't have to put the serial number 
on it, which means that if it's used at a crime scene, it's not going to be identifiable in that case because there's not a database to which it could be linked back, thus the term ghost gun. But what they're doing in this section is they're saying if you modify your weapon whatsoever, you will be guilty of what we have determined to be a ghost gun. Subparagraph A shall not apply to the manufacturer of a firearm by a licensed manufacturer if the licensed manufacturer complies with Section 923.1 before selling or transferring the firearm to another person. So basically, if you make the guns, you don't have to abide by that as long as it abides by the laws by the time you transfer it to the person in a sale. The offer to sell, sale, or transfer of, that's weird wording, of a firearm to or purchase or receipt of a firearm by a licensed manufacturer or importer before the date that is 30 months after the date of enactment of the subsection or transitions between licensed manufacturers and importers on any date, it shall be unlawful for a person other than a licensed manufacturer or importer to engrave or cast a serial number on a firearm in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce unless specifically authorized by the attorney general. So you can't put a serial number on it either. Beginning on the date that is 30 months after the date of enactment of this subsection, it shall be unlawful for any person other than a licensed manufacturer or an importer to knowingly possess a ghost gun in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce. Beginning on the date that is 30 months after the date of enactment of this subsection, it shall be unlawful for any person other than a licensed manufacturer or importer to possess a ghost gun in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce with the intent to sell or transfer the ghost gun with or without further manufacturing or to manufacture a firearm with the ghost gun. It shall be unlawful for any person to sell, offer to sell, or transfer in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce to any person other than a licensed manufacturer or machine that has the sole or primary function or manufacturing firearms, except as provided in subparagraph A beginning on the date that is 180 days after the date of enactment of this subsection, it shall be unlawful for any person other than a licensed manufacturer to possess, purchase, or receive in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce a machine that has the sole or primary function of manufacturing firearms. So if you have a 3D printer, uh, you will not be allowed to possess that. That's going to have to be relinquished, presumably. Subparagraph B shall not apply to a person who is engaged in the business of selling manufacturing equipment to a licensed manufacturer who possesses a machine with the intent to sell or transfer the machine to a licensed manufacturer. So what all of that means is essentially, if you're a gun manufacturer, you can still purchase these. If you sell the machines that make the guns, you can still sell them to licensed manufacturers. You just cannot sell them to an individual citizen. Requirements. Removal of serial numbers. Section 922K of Title 18 United States Code is amended by striking, quote, importers or manufacturers, unquote, each place it appears. And by inserting, quote, authorized by this chapter under state law, unquote, before removed, the word removed, each place it appears in that legislation. Licensed importers and manufacturers, section 923I of Title 18 United States Code is amended by inserting 1A before licensed and by adding at the end the following, quote, the serial number shall be engraved or cast on the frame or receiver in a manner sufficient to identify the firearm and the manufacturer or importer that put the serial number on the firearm presumably unquote, but they don't put that in there. Anyway, not later than 180 days after the date of enactment of this paragraph, the Attorney General shall prescribe regulations for engraving a unique serial number onto a ghost gun. The regulations prescribed under subparagraph A shall 
quote, allow an owner of a firearm described in subparagraph A to have a unique serial number engraved on the firearm by a licensing manufacturer or importer. And, oh, too far. Scrolling back up. Require that a serial number be engraved on the frame or receiver in a manner sufficient to identify the firearm and the licensed manufacturer or importer that put the serial number on the firearm. The regulations authorized under this paragraph shall expire on the date that is 30 months after the date of enactment of this paragraph. Now we get to the penalties. Section 924 of Title 18, United States Code, is amended. Again, remember that is the <laughs> the the criminal code in subsection A1B by striking quote or Q and inserting quote Q AA1 AA2 AA4 or AA5 unquote. Again, they're just getting their ducks in a row here. We're gonna skip down because this is a lot of just switching out of words. I think we get the picture here. I have in fact linked this entire text below. Um, if you're watching this, just scroll uh, directly under the description of this video. And if you are going to be listening to this, you can just pull up the description of the episode on the podcast. All right. In the case of any subsequent violation by the person, be fined under this title, imprisoned, and not more than five years or both. So there you go. We get past all of the switching and swapping of words if you do this, if you possess some kind of gun manufacturing device, 3D printer, whatever it is, you're going to be fined and or imprisoned up to five years. Modernization of the Prohibition on Undetectable Firearms. In the matter preceding subparagraph A by striking any firearm. By amending subparagraph A to read as follows, is what the new code is going to read. An undetectable firearm or... That's what it's going to say. Um, and also in subparagraph B by striking, quote, any major component of which when subjected to inspection by the types of x-ray machines commonly used at airports does not generate, unquote. Again, um, <laughs> basically, if it's not made out of metal, it's, it's probably not going to be at least quite as detectable. You can't, I guess, have a <laughs> ceramic or a plastic gun uh, and inserting the following quote a major component of a firearm which if subjected to inspection by the types of detection devices commonly used at airports for security screening would not generate unquote in paragraph two it's going to be changed by amending subparagraph a to read as follows the term undetectable firearm means a firearm as defined in section 921 a3a which we just went over which no major component is wholly made of detectable material by striking subparagraph b and inserting the following Quote, the major, the term major component with respect to a firearm, unquote, means the slide or cylinder or the frame or receiver of the firearm, and in the case of a rifle or shotgun, includes the barrel of the firearm, and by striking subparagraph C and all that follows through the end of the undesignated matter following subparagraph C and inserting the following... Quote, the term detectable material means any material that creates a magnetic field equivalent to or more than 3.7 ounces of 17-4 pH stainless steel. Regulations of what your guns have to be. In paragraph 3, in the first sentence, by inserting, including a prototype after, quote, of a firearm and by striking the second sentence, and in paragraph 5, by striking, shall not apply to any firearm which, and all that follows, and inserting the following, shall not apply to... Quote, any firearm received by in the possession of or under the control of the United States, unquote, or the manufacturer, importation, possession, transfer, receipt, shipment, or delivery of a firearm 
by a licensed manufacturer or licensed importer pursuant to a conduct with the United States. Again, getting all of their ducks in a row. We now come to Title IV, Safe Storage. Section 401, Ethan's Law. Subsection A, Gun Storage or Safety Device. Section 922Z of Title 18, United States Code is amended by adding at the end the following. Gun storage by owners. Offense. In general, except as provided in Clause 2, it shall be unlawful for a person to store or keep any firearm that has moved in or that has otherwise affected interstate or foreign commerce on the premises of a residence under the control of the person if the person knows or reasonably should know that... One, a minor is likely to gain access to the firearm without the permission of the parent or guardian of the minor. Or two, a resident of the residence is ineligible to possess a firearm under federal, state, or local law. Here's the exception. Clause one shall not apply to the person if the person, one, keeps the firearm secure using a secure gun storage or safety device, or in a location which a reasonable person would believe to be secure or carries the firearm on his or her person or within such close proximity thereto that the person can readily retrieve and use the firearm as if the person carried the firearm on his or her person. Now, that to me is an important distinction, and I am personally glad that they put that in there because the question ringing in the back of my mind is, if I carry a weapon for self-defense, that's clearly not locked up. It clearly needs to be accessible. It clearly would need to be loaded. It clearly would not have a trigger lock on it. It clearly would be on my person. Would I be in violation of this law? And that is the exception. Provided you're not being irresponsible, it sounds like. But again, that is rather vague and it will obviously vary based off of how it is enforced. Here's the penalty. In general, except as otherwise provided in this subparagraph, any person who violates subparagraph A shall be fined $500 per violation. But it gets... It gets deeper. Forfeiture of improperly stored firearm. Any firearm stored in violation of subparagraph A shall be subject to seizure and forfeiture in accordance with the procedures described in section 924D. Now, that is probably, probably, if this goes through and gets appealed to the Supreme Court, I would guess a section that they will hone in on because you are now forfeiting what is not only your Second Amendment right, but you're also forfeiting other amendments such as you cannot be unlawfully searched and seized. Need to get TJ on here. Unfortunately, he was in class when I'm recording this right now. Um, but if you if you happen to not have that quote-unquote properly stored as the law would have you dictate, they can just take away your weapon. Now, there's obvious benefits that can be argued for that, but I think where the Supreme Court, as it stands, will probably hone in on that is, is that, and they'll answer the question, is that a violation of your constitutional rights? Like, set aside whether or not these types of restrictions are an infringement on your Second Amendment right. I can also see it being appealed that there are other violations there. Now, here's how they define a minor in this paragraph. The term minor means an individual who has not attained 18 years of age, which is interesting to me. Because they were just redefining minor to be 21 years old, or at least an adult, you have to be over the age of 21. And I think this is a problem that I'm seeing when it comes to the legal definition of what is an adult, because this is basically saying you're going to be considered a minor in these instances, but not in others. And we'll talk more about that later. Honestly, I'll, for the sake of time, I'll probably put that in a different episode. We're going to debate this, um, or at least concepts of gun control. So I'm going to probably keep most of my thoughts for that, but I'll give you enough of my thoughts as to how I reached 
my two ratings for this legislation. Firearm Safety Storage Program. Now, this was an interesting addition. Title I of the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act of 1968 is amended by adding at the end the following. Part PP, safe, uh, Firearm Safe Storage Program, Section 3061 Firearm State Storage Program. In general, the Assistant Attorney General shall make grants to an eligible state or Indian tribe to assist the state or Indian tribe in carrying out... The provisions of any state or tribal law that is functionally identical to Section 922Z4 of Title 18 United States Code. Eligible state or Indian tribe in general, except as provided in Paragraph 2, a state or Indian tribe shall be eligible to receive grants under this section on and after the date on which the state or Indian tribe enacts legislation functionally identical to what we've been reading, 922Z4 of Title 18 United States Code. First year eligibility exception. In general, a covered state or Indian tribe shall be eligible to receive a grant under this section during the one-year period beginning at the date of enactment of this part, covered state or Indian tribe. In this paragraph, the term covered state or Indian tribe means excuse me, a state or Indian tribe that before the date of enactment of this part enacted legislation that is functionally identical to section 922Z4 of Title 18 United States Code. Now, this is interesting. Before the date of enactment of this part, it seems to me that they're anticipating that states will pass legislation that basically says state agents and resources will not be used to enforce these federal laws. We've seen this in the past um, preemptively. A lot of uh, constitutional carry states have done something like this. I believe Kentucky is probably one of the more recent examples of that. Tennessee might be on that list. But basically, they say we're not using state resources to enforce what we as a state view to be bad federal legislation. So it seems like they're saying you have to enact similar legislation to this at the state level, and then you'll be given these federal grants. Interesting use of the carrot instead of the stick, at least to start with. We'll see how this goes. Enacted legislation that is functionally identical to Section 922. Uh, okay, we read that. I'm sorry. Use of funds. Funds awarded under this section may be used by a state or Indian tribe to assist law enforcement agencies or the courts of the state or Indian tribes in enforcing and otherwise facilitating compliance within any state law functionally identical to Section 922Z4 of Title 18 United States Code. So they're going to be giving, I presume, law enforcement and... Other entities similar to that that they want to give funding to to help enforce this. Here's the application. An eligible state or Indian tribe desiring a grant under this section shall submit to the Assistant Attorney General an application at such time in such manner and containing or accompanied by such information as the Assistant Attorney General may reasonably require. Here are the incentives. For each of the fiscal years 2023 through 2027, the Attorney General shall give affirmative preference to all Bureau of Justice Assistance Discretionary Grant Applications of a state or Indian tribe that has enacted legislation functionally identical to the one we've been talking about. I'm not going to keep reading that. It's long. Paragraph 4B of Section 922Z of Title 18 United States Code, as added by this act, is amended by adding at the end the following, quote, enhanced penalty. If a person violates subparagraph A and a minor or a resident who is ineligible to possess a firearm under federal, state, or local law obtains the firearm and causes injury or death to such minor, resident, or any other individual, the person shall be fined under this title imprisoned for not more than five years or both. Now, that is interesting because the original text when we were talking about who can purchase these firearms, it seemed to me that, let's say, a father wants to purchase one of the weapons that they're not allowing them to, so the center fire semi-automatic 
shotgun or rifle and he wants to give it to his daughter he can't give it to her can't do a straw purchase but what if he wants what if, what if she uses that for competition there are plenty of kids who would definitely be called minors who are well trained with each of these firearms let's say they compete in three gun tactical now I was talking about possession, so it seemed to me that obviously the younger kids could not obviously purchase those firearms, but it seems like they cannot even possess or use them, and it would be interesting to me to see how that is enforced, because we saw this in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse when we had TJ on, and we talked about 16-year-olds being given a hunting exception as in the state of Wisconsin, hunting and shooting is a large part of their local culture there, they grant an exception for minors accompanied um, by, uh, or if you're like 14 to 16 years old, accompanied by an adult, you can carry that weapon for hunting purposes. And I'm curious to see how that would play out. We do know that vague law like this, without specific exceptions, we would assume that it would be enforced to what I'm saying would probably be cause for concern for individuals in favor of the Second Amendment here. Your kid under the age of 21 is not going to be using those weapons. Again, you can argue pros and cons, but it seems like it's just not even going to be an option under this law. Section 403, Kimberly uh, Vohan, I assume? Firearm safe storage. Best practices for safe firearm storage in general, not later than 180 days after the enactment of this act, the Attorney General shall establish voluntary best practice relating to firearm storage solely for the purpose of public education. The Attorney General shall give not less than 90 days public notice and shall afford interested parties opportunity for hearing before establish such best practices. The requirements. In establishing the best practices required under subparagraph A, the Attorney General shall outline such best practices for preventing firearm loss, theft, and otherwise unauthorized access for the following locations in businesses, vehicles, private homes, off-site storage facilities, any other such place the attorney general deems appropriate to provide such guidance. Publication. Not later than one year after the enactment of this act, the attorney general shall publish in print and on a public website the best practices created pursuant to subparagraph A and shall receive best practices and update them not less than annually. Promotion of safe firearm storage. In general, Section 923 of the Title 18 United States Code is amended by adding at the end the following. Beginning January, 20, uh, January 1st, 2025, licensed manufacturers and licensed importers that serialize not less than 250 firearms annually pursuant to subsection 1 shall provide a clear and conspicuous written notice with each manufactured or imported handgun, rifle, or shotgun that is attached or adhered to or appears on or within any packaging of each handgun, rifle, or shotgun, and states. Safe storage saves lives. That needs to be emblazed on that. Followed by the address of the public website, established by the Attorney General, pursuant to Section 403A of the Protecting Our Kids Act. Safe storage device for all firearm sales. Here is the next amendment. Effective date, this section and the amendment made by this section shall take effect on the date that is 180 days after the enactment of this act. It can no longer just be for handguns, the amendment is that it will be for handgun, rifle, or shotgun. Basically all firearms. Part PP of Title I of the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act of 1968 as added by this act is amended by adding at the end the following. 
Authorization. The Attorney General may award grants to states and Indian tribes for the development, implementation, and evaluation of safe firearm storage assistant programs. Application requirements. Each applicant for a grant under this section shall submit to the Attorney General an application at such time, in such a manner, and containing such information as the Attorney General may require and to the extent practicable, identify state, local, tribal, and private funds available to supplement the funds received under this section. Reporting requirement. Grantee report a receipt of a grant under this section shall submit to the Attorney General an annual report which includes the following information. The amount distributed to each safe firearm storage assistance program in the jurisdiction, the number of firearm storage devices distributed by each safe firearm storage assistance program, and a recipient of a grant under this section may not include any personally identifying information of recipients of safe firearm storage devices pursuant to a safe firearm storage assistant program that receive funding pursuant to this section. Attorney General Report. Beginning 13 months after the first grants are awarded under this section the, and annually thereafter, the Attorney General shall submit to Congress a report which shall include the following information. A. A list of grant recipients during the previous year, including the funds awarded cumulatively and disaggregated by grantee. B. The information collected pursuant to subsection D1. And then we move on to the authorization of appropriations. There is authorized to be appropriated to the Attorney General to carry out the section $10 million for each fiscal year's 2023 through 2033 to remain available until expended. Now, the use of funds. Funds awarded under this section shall be allocated as follows. Now, less than 75% of the funds received by a grant e or, <laughs> grantee shall be used to create or provide resources for safe firearm storage assistance programs in the jurisdiction. And two, not more than 25% of the funds received by a grantee may be made available to nonprofit organizations to partner with units of local government to purchase and distribute safe firearm storage devices. There's some interesting restrictions on who can use these funds and who cannot, given that it seems that the Democrats in the House of Representatives proposing this bill and backing this bill and co-signing this bill are saying that we are in such a crisis that we need these things distributed, but then they restrict how they can be distributed, just the safes. Like, uh, basically, <laughs> how can the grants to make sure that someone who purchases a firearm also has a safe place to store that firearm? Just interesting observation to me. Now, definitions for purposes of this section, the term safe firearm storage device means a device that is A, designed and marked for the principal purpose of denying unauthorized access to or rendering inoperable a firearm or ammunition, and B, secured by a combination lock, key lock, or lock based on biometric information, which once locked is incapable of being opened without the combination, key, or biometric information, respectively. The term Safe Firearm Storage Assistance Program means a program carried out by a unit of local government or an Indian tribe and solely for the purpose of acquiring and distributing safe firearm storage devices to the public. In general, subpart D of part four of subchapter A of chapter one of the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 is amended by adding at the end the following new section. Allowance of credit. For purposes of section 38, the safe firearm storage credit determined under this section for the taxable year is an amount equal to 10% of amounts received from the first retail sale of a safe firearm storage device for use within the United States. Now, credit where credit is due, I actually have thought for a little bit now this would be a good way to incentivize safe storage of firearms. You may or may not be aware of this. Safes, especially good ones, are expensive, particularly those that are equipped for very secure storage and yet quick access. So I would assume, uh, at least 
one of the predominant reasons that I'm aware of that people have access, like easy access to their firearms is for home defense and self-defense of themselves, their loved ones, their family. And so a traditional safe, key safe, combination safe, is not going to grant you the access you need in a few quick seconds. So a lot of people, especially if they don't have kids, um, they're going to, to leave those out. So your best safe storage option is going to be a biometric one. Scans your fingerprint that you've programmed or has a quick combination that's like a keypad instead of like the old timey dial grants you access to the firearm, but it's securely stored other than that. Those are expensive, like more so than the traditional safe. So basically, the more secure it is, and also the ones that people would presumably have the most desire to get, meaning the ones that are biometric or like quick scan, they're going to be more expensive because of the technology backing them. What this is proposing is that if I purchase that safe, I get a tax credit. So I can, at the end of the year, when you fill out your IRS tax forms and you have write-offs, this would count as one of those. And I think that that, honestly, out of this entire bill, that's the thing that I am like, I think a lot of people can get behind is giving you a rebate. Because if I spend $1,500 on a state, on a safe to make sure that my weapons are only accessible by myself as a responsible gun owner, you've now incentivized me to purchase that because I can get a tax deduction for participating in something. So out of all of that, I think that's something that all gun owners will get behind because it's uh, it's something that they are getting credit for um, and something that they probably wanted but weren't really able to put that money towards. All right, let's talk about the limitations. In general, the amount taken into account under subsection A with respect to a safe firearm storage device shall not exceed $400. If, in connection with a sale of a safe firearm storage device, the transferee receives other property, the amount taken into account under subsection A shall be limited to the amount received solely with respect to the safe firearm storage device, which shall be determined based on the value of the safe firearm storage device relative to the value of other such property basic restriction. In general, the term safe firearm storage device means a device that is designed and marked for the principal purpose of denying unauthorized access to or rendering inoperable a firearm or ammunition and secured. Again, this is the same thing. It's basically just saying if you want your tax rebates, it's got to meet these. The exclusion, the term safe firearm storage device does not include A, any device which is incorporated to any extent into the design of a firearm or an ammunition. So like if I have a safety on my gun, not going to count. And B, any device that as of the day of the sale described in subsection A has been subject to a mandatory recall by the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Firearm, ammunition. The terms firearm and ammunition have the meanings given such terms in section 921 of Title 18, United States Code, without regard to all that follows. Firearm, silencer, or bump stock in paragraph 3 of such section. Sorry, firearm, silencer, there's a comma after silencer, so it's a firearm, silencer, or bump stock. They're not... Uh, just quick clarification there. Termination. This section shall not apply to sales after December 31st, 2030. Presumably unless they renew this bill. Credit made part of general business. Subsection B of sub section 38 of the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 is amended by striking plus at the end of paragraph 32, by striking the period at the end of paragraph 33, and inserting plus and by adding at the end the following new paragraph. And it shall say, the safe firearm storage credit determined under section 45U. Clerical amendment, the table of sections for subpart D of part four of subchapter A of chapter one of such code is amended by adding at the end the following new item. And again, this is so that you can legally get your tax credit. It will say a safe firearm storage credit.
Report, the Secretary of the Treasury shall make publicly available an annual report of the total amount of credit against tax determined under Section 45U of such code for taxable years ending in the preceding calendar year. Dis Disaggregated by state. Effective date, the amendments made by this section shall apply to taxable years beginning after the date of the enactment of this act. Title 5, closing the bump stock loophole. Section 501, bump stocks in general. Section 584.5 of the Internal Revenue Code 1986 is amended in section A by striking, quote, and a destructive device, unquote, and inserting, quote, a destructive device, and a bump stock. So they're literally just adding the word bump stock. And by adding at the end the following new subsections. Bump stock. The term bump stock means any of the following. Any manual, power-driven, or electronic device that is designed such that when the device is attached to a semi-automatic weapon, the device eliminates the need for the operator of a semi-automatic weapon to make a separate movement for each individual function of the trigger and materially increases the rate of fire of the semi-automatic weapon or approximates the action or rate of fire of a mechanism. And two, any part or combination of parts that is designed and functions to eliminate the need for a for the operator of a semi-automatic weapon to make a separate movement for each individual function of the trigger and material increases the rate of fire of the semi-automatic weapon or approximates the action or rate of fire of a machine gun. Three, any semi-automatic weapon that has been modified in any way that eliminates the need for the operator of the semi-automatic weapon to make a separate movement for each individual function of the trigger and... Material increases the materially increases the rate of fire of the semi-automatic weapon or approximates the action or rate or of fire of a machine gun. Now, here's what's interesting about that, and it's the B section there. Operates, uh, approximates the action or rate of fire of a machine gun. So if you don't know, a semi-automatic weapon means that with every pull of the trigger, one bullet is fired. If I want to fire a second time, I must release the trigger and pull again. You can fire the rounds as quickly as you can squeeze that trigger, which means that if you're well-trained with a semi-automatic weapon, you can get pretty dang close to the rate of fire of a machine gun. A machine gun or an automatic weapon means that one pull of the trigger means that you're going to have rounds fired until you release the trigger. So semi-automatic means one pull, one bullet. Fully automatic machine gun, whatever term you want to use, is where you pull the trigger one time and it fires the bullets until you release the trigger. If you are really good, like I just mentioned, with a semi-automatic weapon, you can certainly approximate the actual rate of fire of a machine gun. So I am wondering if this is going to just in general be operationalized against semi-automatic rifles. Or even shotguns if you really want to target those because if they're semi-automatic, you can fire those as quickly as an automatic shotgun. Even though it doesn't technically meet that, it's just that B part that makes me wonder how they're going to operationalize this. It, to me, there seems to at least be the opportunity. All right, semi-automatic weapon. The term semi-automatic weapon means any repeating weapon that utilizes a portion of the energy of a firing cartridge or shell to extract the fired cartridge case or shell casing and chamber the next round and requires a separate function of the trigger to fire each cartridge or shell. Literally what I just said, except they also mentioned the technical part, which is that the gas, when you are, when you pull it, the, the, the inertia and all of that kicks your slide back, and that movement ejects the shell if it's a shotgun, um, or the casing if it's going to be um, a rifle or handgun, and then 
once that's cleared, it's also going to, that movement is going to chamber your next round, which is why you can fire it as quickly as you pull the trigger. And for a machine gun, same concept, except that you just pull the trigger one time. Amendment to Title 18 United States Code, Section 921A of Title 18 United States Code as amended by this act is further amended to read the following in paragraph 3 by striking, quote, muffler or firearm silencer and inserting, quote, muffler, firearm silencer, or bump stock. Literally just adding the word bump stock. And by also adding at the end the following, the term bump stock has the meaning given such term in section, and they just list it. Okay, let's scroll down because this is this is a very long legislation because they're tackling a lot in this. Again, they're going to insert bump stock, insert bump stock. We're just going to keep scrolling down. And we're going to go to Title VI, Keep Americans Safe. Section 921A of Title 18 United States Code is amended by this act is further amended by adding at the end the following, quote, the term large capacity ammunition feeding device means a magazine belt drum feed strip helical feeding device or similar device including any such device joined or coupled with another in any manner that has an overall capacity of or that can be readily stored changed or converted to accept more than 10 rounds of ammunition and does not include an attached tubular device designed to accept and capable of operating only with 22 caliber rimfire ammunition again the exception being given to 22 caliber the term qualified law enforcement officer has the meaning given which we read before for those purchasing and or using these weapons you you also can't have the quote unquote high capacity magazine unless you're you're a law officer. Section six oh two restrictions on large capacity ammunition feeding devices. Before I get into that, I would just like to comment that this is where I say that the term keep Americans safe or protecting our kids is incredibly subjective and in this case, in my opinion, is a bit of a misnomer because I don't see a connection, a direct connection between the sheer size of the magazine and the damage that is done. Now, obviously, the argument that is made is that, you know, oh, if they have to reload, then you slow down giving people to run. But here's the deal. If I have 17 rounds in my magazine, you're not significantly slowing me down to the point that you're really putting a dent in the goal here, right, which is to reduce school shootings and to reduce the casualties. Personally, I think there's a lot of other causes leading to this that will be better addressed and reach our end goal than just nitpicking at things like this. Like to me, this really just seems to be, we don't want high capacity magazines, so we're going to get rid of them. There's not, in my opinion, a direct link. I love to debate people on this too. So if there's anybody out there who would like to have a discussion about this, maybe not a debate. Most of ours are more discussions. I would love to chat with you about this and gain some perspective. And I'll give you my perspective too. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about section 602, which is restrictions on large capacity ammunition feeding devices. In general, section 922 of Title 18 United States Code is amended by inserting after subsection U the following, quote, it shall be unlawful for a person to import, sell, manufacture, transfer, or possess in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce a large capacity ammunition feeding device. So you cannot have any magazines, tubes, etc., of presumably more than 10 rounds. And in the case of shotguns, it's looking like five, since that's what they mentioned earlier. Paragraph one shall not apply to the possession of any large capacity ammunition feeding device otherwise lawfully possessed on or before the date of enactment of this subsection. Paragraph one shall not apply to the importation for, manufacturer for, sale or transfer to or possession by the United States or department or agency of the United States or a state 
or department agency or political subdivision of the state, blah, blah, blah. blah. Basically, if you are in the government, you're, you're a police officer, et cetera, state, federal, whatever, you, you can have them. And it says, or a sale or transfer of the possession by a camp or even campus law enforcement officers for purposes of law enforcement, whether on or off duty. So it looks like they do make that exception, at least in the case of high capacity magazines for those who are off duty. And then we have the importation for sale or transfer to a licensee under Title I of the Atomic Energy Act of 1954 for purposes of establishing and maintaining an on-site physical protection system and security organization required by federal law or possession by an employee or contractor of such licensee on-site for such purposes or off-site for purposes of licensee authorized training or transportation of nuclear materials. The possession by an individual who is retired in good standing from service with a law enforcement agency is not otherwise prohibited from receiving ammunition of a large capacity ammunition feeding device sold or transferred to the individual by the agency upon such retirement or that the individual purposed or otherwise obtained for official use before such retirement or the importation, sale, manufacture, transfer, or possession of any large capacity ammunition feeding device by a licensed manufacturer or licensed importer for the purpose of testing or experimenting authorized by the attorney general. For purposes of paragraph 3A, the term campus law enforcement officer means an individual who is employed by a private institution of higher education that is eligible for funding under Title IV of the Higher Education Act of 1965, or B, is responsible for the prevention or investigation of crime involving injury to persons or property, including apprehension or detention of persons for such crimes, authorized by federal, state, or local law to carry a firearm, execute search warrants, and make arrests, and recognized, commissioned, or certified by a government entity as a law enforcement officer. Identification markings for large capacity ammunition feeding devices... We're gonna we're gonna skip past this. Basically, it has to say for law enforcement purposes, it has to be clearly identified so that you can't have them. Then you've got the seizure and forfeiture of large capacity ammunition. Again, we're gonna skip through this because it's a lot of terms and jargon and switching out of words. And I know this is getting long, so thank you for bearing with me. But uh, basically, what this is saying is that you gotta clearly identify these, and if you're caught with these, you're going to ha be fined and face up to uh, five years in prison. At the bottom, we have the miscellaneous. It basically says it's not later than one year after the day of enactment of this act, the annual, and annually thereafter, the Attorney General shall submit to the Committee on the Judiciary of the Senate and the Committee on the Judiciary of the House of Representatives a report that includes with respect to the preceding year the demographic data of persons who were determined to be ineligible to purchase a firearm based on a background check performed by the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, including race, ethnicity, national origin, sex, gender, disability, average annual income, and English language proficiency, if available. And that brings us to the end of this bill. So why don't we go ahead and talk about things like my scores here, as well as uh, some thoughts that I have. So number one, let's, let's talk about questions that I think you should be asking yourself as you read through this bill or as you listen to this. How will any of these proposed things in the bill, quote unquote, protect our kids or quote unquote, save Americans? And I'm not saying they won't, but I'm, I'm asking what is that connection because if they're passing this legislation especially as that representative said before um you know we're not going to be stopped we're coming for them blah 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 because we need to to reduce the deaths how is it going to protect the kids how is things like the government tracking firearms 
going to reduce them? How is preventing modification going to protect the kids? How is, you know, preventing a parent from giving their child, presumably a responsible child, a firearm going to protect them? How is being 21 years old instead of 18 going to protect them? Now, you already need to be 21 for a handgun, which the side conversation, I have an issue with that to begin with. But we already have a law that says you need to be 21. That did not stop the incredibly tragic school shooting that just happened in Texas. He used a handgun illegally, 18 years old. And the media has tried to spin this to say that, well, he had, he purchased an AR style rifle. He didn't, it has not, to my knowledge, been confirmed that he used it. What he did use was a handgun. That is what is what has been confirmed. He already wasn't supposed to possess it. Buffalo Shooter was not supposed to possess those. How are we addressing the shootings that we've seen happen by passing these laws? Serious question. Um, Quote, unquote, ghost guns. Basically anything that the government doesn't have dibs on. To me, it really seems to come down to how is the gun used? Not the gun itself. Not inherently the number of rounds that the magazine can hold. People find a way to commit crimes. Hell, if they want to do a mass shooting, do you really think they're going to care how many bullets fit in their magazine? No, because they're already going to commit an atrocity. So really think about, you know, is there a direct connection? If, if you think there's a direct connection and you support the legislation, good. If you don't, then we should really be having a conversation about are the Congress members doing what we've asked them to do, which is pass legislation that we want. Here's another thing. Why are we increasing the age to buy a firearm? Like I mentioned, it didn't stop the incredibly tragic mass shooting that just happened. But here's the cognitive dissonance that I'm seeing take place here. We're seeing the argument that you are cognitive. Mainly the argument is, well, there's a lot of cognitive development that takes place between 18 and 28 years old, 21 years old, etc. Of course, I agree. <laughs> there's evidence for that. But you're going to tell me that they're competent enough to vote for people who are leading our nation, making incredibly impactful decisions, but not competent enough to purchase a firearm. They're competent enough to serve our country with these same weapons or go into law enforcement with these same weapons, but they can't execute their Second Amendment right to protect themselves, their property, their loved ones. And you might say, okay, well, if you go into law enforcement, then... Well, you have background checks, etc. You have to have a background check to purchase these to begin with, to possess these to begin with. I really want to know how is this protecting our children? How is this cognitively consistent? We might not agree on these, and that's okay, because this is not about me trying to convince you about my perspective on these laws. I'm sure you can guess what that is. I'm I'm not particularly jazzed about the majority of what we just read in this legislation. But, you know, genuinely ask yourself, is this bill going to address the concerns that you have? Ask yourself this question. How will the government tracing firearms and restricting legal usage reduce school shootings? Because, again, this legislation only affects law-abiding citizens. The Buffalo shooter did not give two craps about the fact he was illegally modifying his weapon. Still did it because he was committing a racially motivated hate crime mass shooting. Which also it's important to note, he said he specifically went to Buffalo because of the heavy gun control and he knew these people would be virtually unarmed. Here's what else you need to know if you're asking yourself the question, how is restricting the legal usage going to be helpful? The majority of mass shooters are using illegal weapons 
or illegally possessed or obtained weapons, right? They weren't supposed to have one, so they stole one from their parents or from their loved ones, which that has to do in part with some specific instances of mass shooters with the access and the firearm wasn't properly stored, which I think the Safe Storage Act addresses. But if we look at the last several shootings, the one in Oklahoma legally possessed, passed all the background checks, Red flag laws didn't stop him. Buffalo shooter, same instance, legally possessed. Um, the weapons that he allegedly might have used but was not confirmed, the AR-style weapon, legally possessed. But the one that we know he used for the shooting in Texas, illegally possessed. I'm seeing a pattern here. They don't give a crap about what the law actually says. So, yeah, ask yourself those questions. Do you really think this addresses the key concerns? Here's my rating. The efficacy of the bill, I'll give it a one and a half out of five. The half, really just the one and a half out of five, really comes from the, the, the safe firearm storage aspect of this and the rebates that will, I think, help incentivize people to buy good safes to lock up their weapons. Other than that, I really don't, I, I, I'll, I'll go into more detail on this when we actually debate this issue, but I do not see a direct connection between these types of restrictions on law-abiding citizens and how that's going to help reduce mass shootings. If the end goal is to reduce shootings, school shootings, mass shootings, this isn't it, in my opinion. Now, the media correctness, I'll give it a four out of five. I, I would give it a five, but what I've seen from the media, it, it's disparaging how awful Republicans are for not wanting to protect our children, which really comes more from the misnomer of this bill, protect our kids. I don't think it achieves that. But really, what are you going to do? They're not reading this legislation. Hell, Congress isn't reading this legislation before they pass on it. So I, I'm not going to fault them for that. I don't think it's 100% accurate. You've got your natural bias on both sides that take place, but I'll give it a four out of five. Again, I really think that I would have given them a higher score if they weren't basically saying that anyone who's opposed to quote unquote common sense gun law is in favor of children dying. Now, here we have my takeaways. This is completely 100% my opinion. Uh, number one, I think Democrats want gun control. I think they've always wanted gun control. And I think that when they see mass shootings like this, they don't line up directly here is the issue shootings and here is the the causes. We look at the data, we see the actual causes, we connect them. Um, I, I don't see that happening. I think it's really just callous. I think it's an excuse. I think it's a platform. I also think that they're grandstanding during an election cycle. I don't think that they're being held to account for what they're trying to do. Um, so that's, that's my big one. No surprise there. Every time I'm going to attack both sides, um, as far as just grandstanding in this case, it is Democrats. So I'm attacking their platform here. Uh, number two, I think this is only going to restrict law abiding citizens. I already mentioned the only ones who are going to care are the ones who were law abiding citizens. Anyway, they're the ones who follow the law. Um, current legislation, doesn't stop the tragedy that we've seen, um, and it should have, and it didn't. So that's why I don't think the problem is the actual passing of this legislation or not. My third takeaway, the one like tolerable part of this bill that I have is that, and I think would address some of the issues, which would really be more of our stats, which is like tragic accidental gun deaths meaning a child got a hold of a weapon and then they shot themselves or someone else. Not necessarily even the school shootings, because the school shootings we've seen this last year is not because of this, but that would be the safe 
uh, the, the safe storage laws. I think that portion um, is good. I, I also think the majority of people are following that to begin with, but I, I digress because I, I know not everyone is. I also think that the tax rebate, uh, I can get on board with that. I think that is actually a good incentive uh, for people to follow with. I, I also don't think this is going to reduce school shootings. Like, honestly, if you want my honest opinion, if we took the $40 billion that we shipped off to Ukraine and we put that towards bolstering the security of our schools, that's going to act as a deterrent. Uh, because especially if you look at the Texas shooting, and we will go through those details at length if you haven't already look into it, the back door was left open. The police did not respond. Like, there were so many failures of the school system and the police system. It had nothing or not as much to do with the fact that there was a person possessing a firearm. And that then comes down to how he chose to use it. Like literally he was out there for, I think it was 15 to 30 minutes, just popping off shots outside the school. There's no reason that he should be able to be firing outside of school for 15 minutes with no response. Uh, so if we put the money that we shipped off to Ukraine or that we're wasting within our own government towards bolstering schools, I think that would address it head on. And be a lot more effective of a solution uh, if I had to propose one. But I really think this is not about protecting kids or protecting Americans. I think it's titled that so that you can disparage anyone who opposes, for what I think are legitimate reasons, certain aspects of this bill, namely because they don't address the problem, as someone who's just in favor of, you know, <laughs> letting the kids die, as they've been saying. So that is, this is my brief summaries and takeaways. So why don't uh, we... Close with the reminder that you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. Join us Tuesdays as I read through the legislation, give my summaries, etc. Follow us on our social medias at Between the Liars to stay updated. And if you enjoy this show, why don't you give us a five-star review and tell everyone why you love us as much as you do. And I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now. Yeah.